Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we do in the midst of a world where if we turn on the news and if we look on the internet, on social media, we will often seems as it is rigged to be, we often see negative, 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 negative. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to lift our eyes. And even as we have talked for decades now, see where your hand is at work. Rejoice in that work and join you in that work. And Lord, I thank you that across our church and in different lives and in different ways, we see your hand at work. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. We know that nothing spiritually and eternally significant happens without the Spirit of God at work among the people of God. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We rejoice that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is working among us, bringing new life, bringing hope, sustaining in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering. And Lord, even as now we live in a world where there is the extremes of joy and the extremes of suffering. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to rejoice in Jesus, even in the midst of the pain. And Lord, I recognize that in this room right now, and those watching online, we have many who are suffering in these days. Some who are suffering illness, some who are enduring treatments, some who are suffering loss in terms of family, in terms of death. And Lord, we pray for each one. Lord, even gathered here today, Lord, I pray for, I pray for Jolene and her family. Lord, I pray for her continued healing that you would minister to her. I pray for Scott, for his continued comfort and strength in these days. Lord, we pray for Dan, who will be here in the next service, who's having surgery this week. We lift him up to you. Lord, we pray for those others who are, who are suffering recent diagnoses of cancer or different things. Lord, we lift up Scott Samuelson to you and pray for him and Karen. Lord, we pray for their strength and comfort. Lord, I pray for so many more that are on our list that are going through trial, that are going through pain, that are going through dark days. And Lord, I pray that even in those times, you would be the water of life, that you would be that refreshing fountain of living water that we even sung about just a moment ago, that day by day, you would be the strength that would help them to carry on, that you would be the strength that even carries them through the trial. And Lord, I pray that today you would speak to us from your word as we open up the bread of life. Lord, minister to our souls. May we hear a word from you that would comfort, strengthen, and equip us in these days, these last days. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open your Bible with me to the book of John, John chapter 9, John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And over the next four weeks, I'm going, we're going to have a series entitled Suffering, When Life Doesn't Make Sense, a four-week series on suffering. After that, we're going to spend the summertime about uh, early, at least the plan is, early June through about August, we're going to walk through one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. We're going to walk through the book of Ecclesiastes together. And we're going to find out, and I think you just recently talked through that, so, <laughs> so we're going to do that again. So uh, we're going to walk through the book of Ecclesiastes together, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. And we're going to find out the point of the book of Ecclesiastes is Jesus is better. 
Jesus is better than the pursuit of wealth. Jesus is better than the pursuit of power. Jesus is better than the pursuit of fame. Jesus is better than the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. Jesus is better than anything in this world. And if you find Jesus, you find the meaning to life. If you don't find Jesus, then everything is meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. You can tell I'm a little bit excited about that series. (laughs) And so make sure to come on out this summer for that, walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. All right, John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 12. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. As he was passing by, He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, He's the one. Others said, No, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Over the today and over the next several weeks, when we consider suffering. What does your word teach about suffering? Why we suffer? And also how we can be a blessing and minister to those who are enduring suffering. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and lives during these weeks. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I decided to do this particular series on suffering for for several reasons. One is that as a church body over the last several years, and particularly compounded in the last couple of years, we have endured a lot of suffering. We've endured a lot of suffering. I know that is a global suffering. I know there's a global pandemic. But in particular, here in our congregation, we have seen a lot of loss and a lot of heartache. And to not talk about the issues of suffering would be to not shepherd the sheep well. Another reason is that it seems to be coming up over and over and over again in my studies and just things that I've listened to, things that I've heard, sermons that I have, I have listened to on podcasts and, and different ways that I've been hearing sermons. And one particular sermon that I listened to recently emphasized the importance of a sermon to pastors at a pastor's conference, and it emphasized preparing your people for suffering. He said to tell your people that suffering will come even to faithful followers of Jesus Christ. 
Suffering will come, even to faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And the way to make it through suffering is to hold on to Jesus. The way to endure suffering is to hold on to Jesus. Well, I would actually add to that. In reality, Jesus is really holding on to you. As I've walked through times of pain, as I've walked through times of suffering, I've found sometimes my grip on grace gets a little weak, but I know the grip of grace will never let go of me. And that is the goodness and the kindness of our God. I think one of the reasons why the church is, is struggling today, the church in general, is struggling today to reach today's generations is that we've not preached the full counsel of God, especially when it comes to this idea of suffering or this, this concept of suffering. My generation and the one before and the one or two after my generation has grown up hearing preaching the Bible that basically says something like this. If you follow the rules, if you don't drink, if you don't smoke, if you don't go see Terminator 2, and if you don't... <laughs> And if you sign your true love waits cards, then everything's going to be great. Like you're doing everything right. You're checking all the boxes. And because of that, you are somehow, in some way, maybe it wouldn't be said like this, but in some way we, were, we, we had this idea that somehow we were putting God and in our debt. That I, I was doing all the stuff. This is not just unique to Gen X. I remember the, the, the older generation used to have these cards that they would fill out when they'd come to church, right? With your offering envelope or in Sunday school. Did you bring your Bible? Check. <laughs> did you invite a friend? Check. <laughs> How many contacts did you make? <laughs> 50. <laughs> right? <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> On and on and on. Did you pray this week? So on and so forth. And we had this idea that if I check the boxes, then everything would be going okay. And then tragedy strikes. Tragedy strikes. An unexpected illness. You get that phone call that someone you love has passed away. You lose your job. You pray to God for something to happen and... And he doesn't answer your prayer. At least not in the time or the manner in which you had expected it to happen. You expected life to go one way, it goes another way. Exhibit A, the last couple of years, pandemic. <laughs> Never in a million years could have ever predicted that in year two of living in Washington State. And so all of this together makes us wonder with our suffering, did I do everything right? Why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. Is this, is this the thanks? Is this the thanks I get? And while we might not articulate that because we know we're not supposed to say stuff like that, right? <laughs> Well, we may not say that out loud. We, we know, if we're honest, what goes on in our hearts and souls sometimes. We know why there is a struggle there in our souls. And many of you, perhaps most of you, perhaps all of you, know this voice and know this struggle and this kind of temptation. 
I think when we were growing up, so many of us were promised, if we, or at least told in such a way, that if we just did all these things, we were, we were told, you will have your best life now. And yet, that is not the case. The Scripture promises your best life, but it's not now, it's later. The best life is still to come. And I praise God for that, that this isn't the best it's going to get. Amen? <laughs> that the best life is coming at the return of the king, at the return of Jesus. And so by the end of this series, my goal is that you would be able to say with the great C.H. Spurgeon, the preacher, he said the following. He said, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be confused. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. That's the goal. That's where I want us to get, is there are seasons, there are times in your life. I remember last time when I preached a series on suffering, it was about 12 years ago. I was less than five, five years into the pastoral ministry. I entitled the sermon series, uh, Making Sense Out of Suffering. <laughs> Notice in 12 years, the title has changed, Suffering When Life Doesn't Make Sense. <laughs> You grow a little bit over time. There's seasons in life where you just don't make, you can't make sense of it. But in those times when our finite minds are unable to compute, we don't have the computing power up here to get all the stuff that's going on in the universe or that God is doing in the world. But in those times, especially as analytical people, in those times, we simply trust the Lord. We trust the heart of God, that His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I may not be able to trace His hand. I may not be able to figure out everything that He's doing, all that He's going on. But what I do know is I do know He is God and He is good. And He loves His kids. He loves His children. And so, four-week series on suffering, I encourage you, if, if you miss different parts of it, if you have to be gone, if you have to be out of town, make sure you download the message, but I encourage, messages, but I encourage you to be here. Like, you need to be here. If you only to get bits and pieces, you're not going to get the fully oared picture of what the Bible says on, on suffering. And even then, in four weeks, it's going to be impossible to hit everything the Bible says, but we're going to get an overview. We're going to get the big picture here in this series. So, first of all, from our passage today, here in the book of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, we need to, when it, when we, when it comes to suffering, and when it comes to minister to those who are enduring suffering, first of all, I want to encourage you to remember that we're talking about real people and not about abstract philosophy. We're talking about real people and real suffering, not about abstract philosophy. You can read books on suffering. You can read books on the problem of pain. You can read books on theodicy, which is basically how can God be good and there be suffering in the world. You can read books about that, and they get so philosophical that they forget that we're talking about real people and real struggles and real names and real pain. In verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 9, I think we find that exact thing going on. Here we find a man who has congenital blindness. He was lying by the road and he was begging for alms. 
Now, back in that day, if you were blind, if you were born blind, or if you became blind, there would be little else that you could do in order to earn a living except for begging. And it would be a very difficult existence. You would be relying every day on the benevolence of others just to get something to eat. Now, we think about this guy who is laying there on the road, calling out for alms. Think about the existence that he's had since he was blind from birth. He had never seen colors. He had never seen a sunrise. He'd never seen what his, what his mother's face looked like. And I think that you can, here in this passage, you can see the disciples question that they asked Jesus there in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he had born blind? That is an interesting question. They are walking by the guy that is born blind, and they just start talking about him. <laughs> he can hear what they're saying. And yet they just start having this philosophical argument. Who sinned, him or his parents? They just openly ask Jesus, so who sinned, this man or his parents, so that he was born blind? They forgot that the guy was sitting right there listening to what they were saying. When we're talking about suffering and the sovereignty of God, we need to remember that we're not talking about abstract concepts. We're not talking about high theology or high philosophy or all of these kinds of things. We need to remember we're talking about real people in real situations. Hundreds of different things, hundreds of different situations, hundreds of different backgrounds, but real pain and real suffering and real trials, real lives. That's one of the things that I love about Scripture is Scripture doesn't come across to us, wasn't given to us as a theology textbook. Scripture was given to us as people walked with God. It's the biblical narrative of people really struggling with real lives and walking, learning to walk with God in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the trial, and how they grew in their faith and how God was faithful to them. That is the story of Scripture. The Bible is about God who became man and the one who knew no sin and the one who had never suffered from eternity past choosing to suffer on our behalf so that through Him we could have forgiveness of sins, through faith in Him we could have forgiveness of sins, restoration, everlasting life, and one who could be our fountain of living water even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the trials in this life. He will be your sustaining grace in the midst of suffering. And so here in this passage, it's more than a story than just about a man born blind. I think it's a story that is really an account of fellow sufferers, but also even more than that, it's our story of us who have been born blinded by sin who have been born blinded by our sin from birth. And Jesus gives us new sight. Jesus helps us and empowers us to see with this miracle of salvation. When we were born, we were like the church in Laodicea in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. It says this, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus came to save those who are blinded to the things of God. Jesus came to save those who could not save themselves. 
Remember when we're talking about suffering throughout this series, we're not talking about abstract theological concepts. We're talking about real people, people we are praying for, people whose family is right here in this very room, people who are right here in this very room. So think about that. Number two, not only do we need to remember that we're not talking about just abstract theological concepts, but we're talking about real people. Secondly, not all suffering can be directly traced to specific sins. Not all suffering can be directly traced to specific sins. That's very important to remember. I remember when I was, a, when I was growing up, I remember when my uh, pastor's wife got sick and she had to have surgery. And I remember there was some crazy person, well, there was some person <laughs> that um, visited her in, uh, in the hospital. I think she had to have her gallbladder taken out. But I remember she uh, had somebody visit her in the hospital, and this person came in and asked, what sin caused this in your life? You must be sinning, or else you would not be going through this pain or through this suffering. Friend, that is a lie of the devil to say that every sin is, or every suffering is caused by a specific sin in your life. Now, there is suffering in our lives as consequences that sometimes is caused by sin. Yes, that is true. There are times. But to expand that and to say, every time you suffer, I must have failed God, <laughs> is not what the Bible teaches. And it's certainly not what is going on here in this passage either. Why does God allow suffering in our lives? Why does God allow us to endure pain? Those are some of the things we will look at over the next several weeks. But one of the answers you need to hear is that not all suffering can be directly traced to specific sins in your life or the lives of others. So what I want to talk about, first of all, as we walk through this passage, is reasons that don't account for why the blind man suffered. And then we'll talk about what God does about this man's suffering, what Jesus says about this man's suffering, and what God does about this man's suffering, and what we can learn about that. First of all, notice that not all suffering can be traced to specific sins. Not all suffering can be traced to specific sins in our lives. Now, it is true that suffering in general, suffering in general is the result of sin in general. The reason why we live in a world that contains suffering, that suffering is part of our experience, is a fruit of the fall, is a fruit of humanity's sowing of sinfulness since the very beginning. So we live in a world, we live in a creation that the book of Romans chapter 1 says is in rebellion against God. It is groaning against God. It is groaning because its rightful steward, humanity, sold itself out, sold itself to the devil, sold itself out thinking it would be God, thinking it would place itself higher than God, and then... The all of creation since that time has been in rebellion. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, In Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. There we have the problem and the solution. The problem of sin and suffering, or the problem of suffering is our sinfulness. The answer to sin and suffering is Jesus Christ. 
And so not all sin can be traced to, not all suffering can be traced to specific sins. While suffering in general is the result of sin in general, you cannot always make the conclusion that specific sin causes specific suffering. Other way, D.A. Carson says in his commentary on this passage of John, if you don't have D.A. Carson's commentary on John, you want to pick one up, his, well, I would really recommend his commentary. It's excellent commentary. He says the following. He says, but once you move from generalizing statements about the origin of the human race's maladies to tight connections between sins and the sufferings of an individual, you go beyond the biblical evidence. Very critical to remember. When you're enduring suffering, the answer is not always look back at my past and figure out where I messed it up and then check the boxes just right. There may not be anything there. In fact, many times when we endure pain, when we endure suffering, you can't look back in your past and find out where you went wrong. That's not where the answer is going to be. So the disciples assumed here in this passage the tightest possible connection between this man's suffering and a particular sin. Whose sin? This man or this man's parents or this man? Somehow before he was born, he must have sinned some way and so that he was born blind. It was either his parents had sinned or he had sinned. There has to be some explanation for this. Doesn't this sound familiar in our own lives? Where we go through suffering, we endure trial, we endure pain, we have, we have to get the answer, why? We have to get the answer to the question, why? And sometimes we go off on these chases, we take down these pathways, we take down these roads that do not lead us to the right answer. Here in this passage, they're trying to make up things. It's got to be sin, it's got to be he, or his parents had sin. Yet Jesus says, that's not where you need to look for the answer. That's not where you're going to find the answer to this pain. Now, it is true that sometimes suffering can be traced to a specific sin. We see that sometimes in Scripture, but that's not the only explanation. Now, let me give you some examples. Think about Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers chapter 12, we have Miriam. And then Miriam is sinning by rebelling against Moses' authority. So she is leading a rebellion, her and Aaron, she is leading a rebellion against Moses' authority, saying, God, Moses, you're not the only one God speaks through. He speaks through others, and besides, I don't like your wife either. <laughs> Read Numbers chapter 12, you'll see that's basically what she says. <laughs> she doesn't like who Moses married. And because of her rebellion, her specific sin, she was struck with leprosy for a week. So specific suffering in that case is tied to a specific sin in her life. We see other examples of this. You see the suffering that David endures. So David and Bathsheba, David sins, and the, most of the rest of his life, he's reaping negative consequences of that sin. There is the sowing and reaping kind of suffering. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap suffering so oftentimes. And many of us could get up and stand up and testify, yeah, the dumbest parts of my life is when I went my own way and sowed sin. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and that led to the worst things that happened to me. Some of the worst things. Not all of them, but some of them. Very important to say not all of them. Other examples, you see Samson, just read that story in Judges, Samson, you see sin in his life and the suffering that he reaped from that. We even see it in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira. 
It's an example of sowing sin and a particular suffering that is tied to a particular sin in their lives, allowing the consequences of their actions. C.S. Lewis, in a really excellent book that I commend to you, if you never read C.S. Lewis's Problem of Pain, I really encourage you to read that and read a lot of what C.S. Lewis says. But, uh, but read The Problem of Pain. It's a very good uh, analysis or walk through suffering, and he is one who indeed did suffer. He said the following in that book. He says, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And sometimes when we walk through suffering, it is because of sin. And when we walk through that, sometimes God is allowing the pain in order to wake us up from our rebellion to get us right back on the right path. Now, that is one explanation, but that's not what's going on here. And that's oftentimes not what's going on in our lives. Not all suffering can be traced to specific sins in your life. And that's what's going on here. In fact, we are not given a specific reason why this man has gone through such suffering in his life. Jesus doesn't answer that question except to say this. Through this experience in his life, God is going to be glorified. Through this experience in his life, God is going to be glorified. And that is what we have to trust in when we endure suffering that we do not understand why in the world this is happening. I have no idea what is going on. I have no idea why this is happening. We have to trust that God in our lives will bring glory somehow to himself through this experience that I may not even be able to see all of the details about. Exhibit A from the Old Testament, Job. <laughs> Think about the book of Job. Job suffers greatly. And what do his so-called friends, when his friends show up, his friends do one thing godly. One thing that you should emulate in your life when it comes to helping other people suffer. For a week, they kept their mouth shut. <laughs> Read it. For a week, they sat there with Job and said nothing and just cried with him. There's the ministry of presence. As soon as his friends opened up their mouths, that's when they went wrong. Because why? Because what they did was they took the, much of the Proverbs and applied what's called the retribution principle to Job. The reason why you're suffering is because there's sin in your life, Job. Repent. And they talk more and more. Actually, they talk less and less. And those three guys that talk as three friends, every time they open their mouth, they have less to say in terms of word count. It's very interesting. They go three cycles, and every time they have more to say, they really have less to say. <laughs> Great, but we should preach. We should walk through Job sometime. <laughs> and so in the book of Job, we see that it is much more complicated than his miserable comforters let on in that moment. The reason for Job's suffering remains a mystery. Never forget, reading through the book of Job, Job never knows anything about the conversation between God and Satan. He never finds out about that. He does not know that even happened. All he knows is he's enduring it, and at the end, he's taught to trust God. He's taught to trust that God has got it. 
you often cannot make a direct connection between a specific sin, a specific suffering in your life. So the response is the same. Trust in God. Trust in the Lord to sustain you in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the pain. He will be your strength. We just sang day by day, every day that I have, He will give me sufficient strength for that particular day. I trust God for strength for that particular day. He will lead me through. And so my my job in the midst of my role in the midst of suffering is to continue to run to a forgiving, loving, and sustaining God. Romans 8.18 says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. The reason why Jesus gives that this man here, born blind, is suffering is so that the works of God, the glory of God, can be displayed in his life as God sustains him and endures him from this suffering. On God's timetable. On God's calendar. That's the hard part, isn't it? <laughs> because as people who are have calendars and schedules... And people who keep bullet journals <laughs> where I write in detail what I want to accomplish every day, <laughs> oftentimes my timetable is different than God's timetable. So we cannot often equate a specific suffering to a specific sin in our lives. So what is God doing in this blind man's life? What is God so often doing in our lives? That brings us to final number point, or point number three, is this. God is glorified in Christ as we trust him during life's pain. God is glorified in Christ as we're able to testify in the midst of our pain, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. You know, I think that's what you learn, that you can only learn as you grow older in life. As life has beat you up a little bit, and as life has not gone the way you thought it would go, you learn that Jesus is enough to sustain you even in the midst of suffering. Jesus tells us that the ultimate reason for this man's suffering is so that the works of God would be displayed in his life. What's amazing is that in verse 4, Jesus also invites us to join him in his work. Notice what he says in verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, I must do the works of him who sent me while it is called day. Did I read that correctly? No, I didn't. Jesus does not say, I must do the works of him who sent me while it is called day. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is called day. Jesus is inviting us here in this passage not only to understand something about suffering, but also to understand that we are to join him in his work to minister to those in this world who are enduring suffering. So the calling of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is not only to trust him in the midst of the pain, to trust him in the midst of suffering, but know that God is going to use us as sufferers, as co-sufferers, as fellow sufferers with Jesus. He suffered with us. He calls us to follow him, carrying our cross with them. And he says to us, you will also be able to minister to those who are enduring suffering. You will be able to bless and be a minister and be help those who are enduring some of the same things that you are enduring as well. 
Notice what the solution to the blind man's problem is. The answer is not found in philosophical arguments about suffering, who's, who sinned, this man or his parents, but the answer is found in Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light to this man who, about for, who for the first time in his entire life is to see his own reflection in the pool as he washes away the muddy spit from his eyes. As he cleans his eyes, he will have functioning eyes for the first time in his life. Now, why does Jesus use spit? The answer, we don't know. (laughs) The Bible doesn't say. Now, some of the early church fathers said that he used mud to demonstrate that he is the creator, just as God created man out of the ground, of the dust of the ground. Perhaps God, in this moment, Jesus says God is creating vision, is creating eyes for this man. Perhaps, we don't know. It's not told us here in this passage. But while we don't know why he used mud in this healing, we do know why he sent him to Siloam to wash off. We do know something about the pool of Siloam that gives us insight into suffering here. Now, Siloam is actually the Greek translation from the Hebrew word meaning sent. It tells us here in this passage that this means sent. Go and wash in the pool in verse 7. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Now, why is it called sent? Why is it called sent here in this passage? The reason why it is called sent is because it was actually originally constructed by King Hezekiah. And the reason why King Hezekiah constructed this particular pool, the pool of Siloam, was it was kind of a hedge against an invasion. If they came and invaded Israel, they would often, the Assyrians or the Babylonians or any invaders, would often cut off the camp from the water supply, would cut off the city from the water supply. And so he built this pool so that they would have a water supply within Jerusalem. He built it from a particular spring called the Gihon Spring or the Virgin's Font, which came right on the Temple Mount. So there was a spring on the Temple Mount that flowed down the mount, and he built an aqueduct from there all the way down the mount, just inside the eastern gate. And right there, he built this spring or this pool that was called the Scent Pool, the Pool of Siloam, the Scent Pool. Where was the water sent from? It was sent from the Temple of God. It was sent from the presence of God. God sent this water to be the answer for the people when they were enduring times when they were surrounded by their enemies, when they were surrounded by those who would do them harm, in the midst of that trial, God would send his water from his presence so that they would have the blessing of this fountain of living water in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of the pain. Can you see why Jesus is sending him there? Can you see why Jesus is sending him to this? Watch this. The temple hill was a place that represented God's presence. Jesus sends him to this water that is called, sent from God, go wash in it, and God will cleanse your eyes. God will heal you. This is not the first time in John where he mentions this particular pool. In John chapter 7, the pool of Siloam appears again at the Feast of Tabernacles. The priests go down to the pool of Siloam. They dip their water into the, they dip their, their, their pitchers into the pool of Siloam. They walk up to the temple and they said, with joy we draw water from the wells of salvation. And as they are pouring it out as an offering before God, Jesus shouts out to 
everybody in that moment. If anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so Jesus is saying to this man, go wash in the pool of Siloam. What Jesus is saying is the answer that you need in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, is the one sent from God, the one who fulfills this very pool that you're going to wash in. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Christ. He is your sustaining grace. He is your answer. He is that drink of refreshing water in the midst of your suffering. So often today, what I see when people endure suffering, when Christians endure suffering, and they weren't prepared, and they weren't told that sometimes in your life, even as Christians, even when you're doing everything right, you will endure suffering. And you won't be able to always explain why. What are you to do in that moment? What do you not do in that moment? What I so often see or what I see happening is some of the most bitter people in life are the people who walk away from Jesus in those moments. In those moments when they thought it should go this way and it goes haywire, some of the most bitter folks are the people who didn't and hang on to Jesus. Some of the most rejoicing folks are some of the people who in those moments of suffering, in those moments of pain, did not let their grip get lighter on Jesus, but let their grip get tighter on Jesus. And in those moments, they experienced the refreshing waters of the pool of Siloam in ways that they would have never known otherwise. So let me challenge you and encourage you. You're either in suffering right now, you're about to go into a time of suffering, you're coming out of a time of suffering, regardless of where you're at, the answer, hold on to Jesus. Go straight for that fountain. He is the refreshing water you need. He is the answer to the suffering. He indeed will receive glory. Maybe not on your calendar. Maybe not on your timetable. Maybe it'll be different. Sometimes we don't see all of the reasons why. In fact, oftentimes we don't. But trust in him that he will sustain you even in the midst of the trial and the pain and not only that but we as believers are to be those who take cups from that water and bring it to those who are suffering and bring it to those who are in need i love how this passage ends up it ends up with the crowd saying i can't believe it's the same man they say things like i looks like him but i don't think it's him but it's really him you know, Jesus, he really is the answer to the suffering in the world and is the answer to the suffering in your life. Now, over the next several weeks, we'll unpack these introductory comments more and more. We'll talk about suffering in more detail as it's more is revealed in the rest of the New Testament or the reasons that we endure suffering in the rest of the New Testament. Make sure not to miss the rest of this series. And then also, how can we bring the blessing of Jesus? How can we bring the comfort of Jesus? How can we bring the grace of Jesus to people who are enduring pain? Corey Ten Boom, one of my favorite people, if you never read, I'm reading, recommend a lot of books today, but if you never read Corey Ten Boom, read Corey Ten Boom. <laughs> You'll be blessed. But she tells a story that you've probably heard before, but I think it's good to remember. If you were to look at a tapestry from the backside, what would you see? I have, a, I have an Afghan at the house that looks like a library. <laughs> I love it, man. It's my favorite warm blanket. 
And, but if you look at it on the back side, it doesn't look like a library. It looks like a mess of string. <laughs> like, who made... This must be this modern interpretive art, right? <laughs> if it makes no sense, you look at it, and it's kind of ugly on the backside. But if you walk under, if you walk around it or turn it over, all of a sudden what you see is just a bunch of mangled, messy strings on the back. Oh, you turn it over, and it's a library. Oh, praise Jesus. <laughs> look at that. Same thing with the tapestry. You see just a mess on this side, but you pass underneath it. You look at the other side. You're like, oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. That is the most beautiful artwork. How, did, how could somebody weave all of that mess together and create something beautiful? Friend, that's exactly what Jesus is doing in our lives. We may not see all the mess and how all the crazy goes together on this side, but we trust the master weaver. We trust him that whatever he is putting together, however he's putting those strings, even the colors that we wouldn't necessarily put in there, he is weaving them all for his glory and for our good. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in the one who was sent to the suffering. He endured suffering on our behalf so that we could be redeemed from this sin, this life, and this world. We could be redeemed. And one day, we will be set free completely from suffering. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together, and then we'll have a moment of silence, and then let's respond together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you that the Bible doesn't, doesn't just kind of give simple answers to complex problems. That life is tough, and sometimes we can't make sense of it all. But Lord, it does put us in our place that helps us to remember we are creatures, we are finite, that the computing power of our brains have limited capacities, that we can't see it all from your perspective. And even if we could, it would blow our minds and would be beyond our comprehension. But Lord, we are called, we are told that you are good, and we are told that you are gracious, that you are healer, that you are merciful, and that, Lord, you are sovereign. And, Lord, you will work all things together for our good and for your glory. doesn't mean all things are good. There's some real evil in this world. But, Lord, you are working in such a way where Jesus will be glorified. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are suffering whether it be physical, whether it be emotional torment, whether it be just life not turning out the way that they thought it would, whether it be prayers unanswered, whatever it is. Maybe it's even parents grieving about the next generation or the generations, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would comfort them in their pain and suffering. And even in the midst of that, Lord, give them a deeper faith, a deeper trust, a deeper walk with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this series to refine us, to make us more like Christ. That is our heart's desire during this time. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name.